Chapter 10 of The Red Cross Girls with the Italian Army. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Shelley Marchini. The Red Cross Girls with the Italian Army by Margaret Vannercook. Chapter 10. A Conversation. Bianca went down the stone pathway and out onto the road which ran along in front of the villa. She was wearing the same pale pink frock and a large hat encircled with a wreath of pink flowers. She also had on gloves and carried a white parasol. Perhaps to most American girls, Bianca's care of her personal appearance would have seemed an absurd vanity. But the little Italian girl had been brought up in this fashion. She had been taught that, to keep her delicate skin from the hot sun and wind, to wear pretty clothes and to preserve her little air of daintiness and aristocracy was her chief business in life. For, while her peasant mother asked none of the natural things of her, which most mothers might reasonably expect of a daughter, she had been very insistent that the particular rules which she had determined upon be obeyed. And Bianca was secretly a little afraid of the dark, gaunt woman, who had never taken into her confidence in any way, and seemed so much less like her own mother than the Donna Elisabetta, who had been only her friend. Bianca commenced walking in the direction which she expected her foster brother, Eugenio, to take. For the road she had chosen lay between the Villa Felice and the home of Princess Carnia, where he and Paolo had been guests. As Paolo's leave was over, he had returned to the Italian army on the upper Azanzo. But Eugenio had not sufficiently recovered from his injury to resume his aerial work and was staying on from day to day, hoping to be told by his physician that he might return to the Italian front. He had been injured internally by a fall, so that his recovery must of necessity be slow, but there was nothing to prevent his going about his ordinary affairs. Therefore, Eugenio had been in the habit of walking to his studio not far from his own old home and working there each afternoon for as many hours as he felt in the mood. Occasionally, he would stop along the way and have tea with Sonia and Bianca, for tea is almost as established a custom in Italy as in England. However, Bianca had observed that since Nona's arrival at the Villa Felice about a week before, Eugenio had come to the villa every day for some reason or other. Bianca was sure of this because, as Nona had said, she had been careful to remain with Eugenio during each visit. She noticed him now at some distance away, walking slowly. Eugenio would be surprised on seeing her, as she was not allowed to leave the grounds of the villa, unless an older person were with her. Eugenio seemed to be thinking deeply. He looked very old and impressive to Bianca. He had always seemed so, but more especially in the last year since the Donna Elisabetta's death, and since he had developed the small foreign beard and been away at the war front for a year. As a matter of fact, Eugenio was one of the few persons for whom Bianca had any deep feeling. Why this honor, Bianca? he now asked, with his usual careless good nature, when he at last caught sight of her. I was going up to the villa, in any case, to ask Miss Davis if she would walk down to the studio with me and stay until tea time. Miss Davis told me to tell you, if you should ask for her, that she would be busy this afternoon. Besides, Eugenio, I don't think Madame Sonia would like her to be in the studio alone with you, Bianca answered in her gentle but self-possessed fashion. What reason have you for thinking that, Bianca? If it were true, Miss Davis is quite capable of telling me herself. Besides, 
You could be with us, if Madame Sonia prefers. It seems to me that you are with us most of the time anyway, the young man said as if the fact had just occurred to him. He began walking a little more rapidly, but Bianca kept beside him. Suppose we go straight to the studio then, Eugenio. As Miss Davis does not wish to see you, Bianca went on with the determination of most quiet people. Indeed, this was her real purpose in coming out to meet her foster brother. She wished a talk alone with him. I can pose for you if you like. You used to like me to pose for you very often. I like it now, Bianca, Eugenio replied, glancing at the little girl with a kind of critically brotherly affection. You know you are an extraordinarily pretty child, Bianca. Bianca flushed slowly. Her face rarely betrayed much expression, but she did not look so pleased as one might expect at this. I am not a child, Eugenio. I wish very much that you and everybody else would stop thinking of me as one. I am nearly sixteen, and because I happen to be small does not make me young. I suppose I shall never be very large. A princess in miniature, Bianca? No, I'm not a princess, Gino. I wish I were, because then, if I were only rich enough, you might marry me. Eugenio Zoli stopped and turned around. What an amazing thing for you to say to me, Bianca. If you were not a child, it would be perfectly inexcusable. Of course, you do not know what you are talking about, but nevertheless, never say a thing like that again. The young man spoke as severely as he knew how, but was really too surprised to be as forceful as he felt Bianca's extraordinary remark justified. Nevertheless, she went on with perfect serenity. I don't know why you should be so surprised or so amazed, Gino. The Donna Elisabetta used to tell me that she hoped either you or Paolo would marry me some day. If only one of you could get a hold of a fortune. She said it might be very hard for me to marry well with Nanina for a mother and knowing nothing of my own history. But she thought that you and Paolo would not care, as you both knew how much she loved me. Well, certainly she did that, Bianca. Eugenia agreed. More, I have sometimes thought, than she did either Paolo or me. But that was because she always wanted a daughter. I presume that is why she wished to hold on to you, he ended more leniently, as if he really were talking with a child. For to Eugenio there seemed no other explanation except that Bianca had not realized what she had said. She walked on now for a short time without speaking, appearing just as delicate and flower-like and untroubled as before. Eugenio had a moment of feeling a trifle sorry for Bianca. Her position was difficult, and he and Paolo had been pretty careless concerning her since his mother's death. But, somehow, the war made one forget one's smaller duties. Moreover, he had never been in sympathy with this whole business concerning Bianca. Yet, after all, she was as delicately pretty as a Dresden picture. One could scarcely imagine the child in anything except refined surroundings. Then Eugenio began thinking of another person who interested him more than his foster sister. However, Bianca appeared determined not to be ignored today. Ordinarily, she was quiet and unobtrusive, but evidently something had aroused her to unexpected expression. Gino, if you knew anything about me, I think you ought to tell me about myself. It isn't fair. No one supposes I have any brains or ever think about anything when I really think a great deal. So much of the time, there seems nothing else for me to do. Nanina talks about getting a lot of money for me someday, when everything will be just as I wish. But I can't imagine where she expects to get money, doing the kind of work she does. 
Then I shall not always meet people so kind as Signora Sonia. She is very wonderful and kind, but other people don't understand and don't like me because of the way I treat Nanina and... and for other reasons. Bianca hesitated an instant just as she concluded her speech. She and her foster brother had left a road which led up to the villa and were going along an enclosed path which was more direct to the studio. Certainly Bianca had delivered Nona's message faithfully, so that the young man had given up the idea of trying to see her for this afternoon at least. Oh, you think entirely too much about yourself, Bianca. Most of us do, for that matter. But these things which worry you, you had better talk over with your mother. She is the proper person to decide what should be done about you. But I'll try to have a talk with her myself before I go back to the front, Eugenio replied. As a matter of fact, Eugenio Zoli felt a little conscious smitten as well as sorry for Bianca. It was true, his mother always had seemed exceptionally fond of her, and had not only expected, but requested that he and Paolo do all that was possible for her. But Eugenio had no idea of anything he might be able to do. If he had money, that would, of course, be another matter. But he and Paolo were both ridiculously poor, and there was really no way for him to acquire money except in the fashion Bianca had suggested. This question of marrying money did not strike the young Italian artist as it would most Americans. Foreign marriages, which were an exchange of money for something else supposed to be of equal value, were far too common. Moreover, Eugenio had no illusion about his profession. He knew that comparatively few artists ever make a comfortable living, and that only now and then one of them makes a fortune, and that usually after he is dead. Most of the money in art these days goes to the repurchasing of pictures by old masters, not to the buying of masterpieces by the young artists. But because Eugenio had been disappointed at not seeing Nona, and because Bianca had herself made the suggestion and he did not wish to show a lack of gratitude, he decided to try a sketch of her. It was a hot midsummer afternoon, so they remained outdoors, but not far from the studio. Bianca sat listlessly in a tall chair against a background of wild grapevines, her parasol open, upon which the vines made floating, soft green shadows. Her face under its big white hat was also partly in shadow, but one saw the tiny point of her delicate chin. Her fair hands clasped loosely in her lap and her slender ankles and small feet. She also wore that same little serious faraway expression which so often made people misunderstand her. For truly, Bianca was by no means so unconscious of the world and the circumstances surrounding her as she was supposed to be. As he painted her, Eugenio continued to become more and more impressed by Bianca's delicate prettiness. It was odd, but in some ways she was more grown up than he had appreciated. It was probably because he had grown so accustomed to her that he had not noticed the change. Now and then, he and Bianca talked a little while he worked. I wonder why Miss Davis did not wish to see me this afternoon, Eugenio asked. Had she any special engagement? I think she intended to try to amuse the young fellow who is staying with Madame Sonia, but I'm not sure, Bianca returned. And then, after another moment, You like Miss Davis very much, don't you, Eugenio? It is funny, but you like so many different girls. People think it is Paolo who cares. Well, you are always laughing and indifferent. Yet it was always about you that Donna Elisabetta used to worry. Eugenio laughed good-heartedly. It seems to me, Bianca, that you are thinking and talking too much about my affairs this afternoon. 
suppose you stop before I'm annoyed. For a young lady who has been brought up not to express her opinions before older persons, you have done pretty well today. So Bianca ceased talking and sat in the demure silence which had always been required of her. She was sitting like this, and Eugenio was hard at work, when suddenly they both heard someone striding toward them. Bianca looked up and turned a little pale. It was her mother, Nanina. It was strange that she should always have this little fear of her. Nanina had been harsh, but never cruel. But Bianca was one of the unaccountable persons one meets now and then, who is sometimes very timid and then unexpectedly brave. So this is where you are, she said angrily to Bianca. I thought as much when I learned you had disappeared. She took Bianca by the shoulder, and but for Eugenio might have been rough with her. Have I not told you that you are not to go from the villa alone? Then she turned to Eugenio. The signora told me, if I found you at the studio, to ask to come and have tea with them. She thinks perhaps you may help with the invalid. Why should she worry over one young man, a stranger, when there are so many who suffer? Nanino spoke with a queer indifference. But Eugenio paid no attention, except to be pleased by Sonia's invitation. He had been accustomed to the queer peasant woman all his life. He knew she was odd and fierce and had strange ideas, and, moreover, that her behavior toward Bianca seemed to be beyond explanation. However, she had always been an excellent servant, and he thought very little about her in any other connection. Don't be cross with Bianca, Nanina, although you are right. She must not go about alone. But see what a lovely picture I have made of her? Eugenio picked up his canvas, and as Nanina looked at it, an intense expression of pride and pleasure crossed her face. The next moment, the three of them were returning to the Villa Felice. End of chapter 10.